Today is uh, March 8, uh, 2008, and we are um, we're actually going to finish up the Shemona Esrei today, the 18 benedictions. Uh, we'll, we'll finish uh, this series uh, uh, in God's strength this week, and then next week we'll start an introduction to Matthew Part 3. Um, those of you who've asked for books, I'll have books for you then as well. Uh, and then the first lesson of Matthew Part 3 will be uh, maybe the week following, maybe a week after, depending on whether uh, whether I'd be here for my schedule. But let's open in prayer. Father, I do thank you for uh, the opportunity to, to meet together. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who love you, who have uh, dedicated themselves to you, who understand that you have set them apart as a holy uh, people, Father, and who have a desire to live righteously in Messiah. I thank you for them, Father, and I ask that you might bless us as we fellowship together. I ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. This is from uh, this is from the uh, Shacharit. Uh, it actually is also part of Hamazon, uh, Bekat Hamazon. This is the blessing for the new moon. Today is the is the first of Adar two. Um, our God and God of our forefathers, may their rise, come, reach, be noted, be favored, be heard, be considered, be remembered. The remembrance and consideration of ourselves, the remembrance of our forefathers, the remembrance of Messiah, son of David, your servant, the remembrance of Jerusalem, city of your holiness, the remembrance of your entire people, the family of Israel, before you for deliverance, for goodness, for grace, for kindness, and for compassion, for life and for peace on the day of Rosh Chodesh and the new moon. Remembrance on it, Lord, for our God, for goodness. Amen. Consider us on it for blessing. Amen. And help us on it for life. Amen. In the matter of salvation and compassion, pity, be gracious and compassionate with us. And help us, for our eyes are turned to you. Because you are God, the gracious and compassionate King. May our eyes behold you return to Zion in compassion. Blessed are you, Lord, who restores his presence to Zion. Amen. Um, We've been looking at the Shimon Esrei. We've gotten through nine benedictions, which is halfway through <laughs> in two weeks. So we have to do. We actually have to do uh, the remaining uh, nine today. So it's going to be uh, real fast. If you have questions, uh, we'll, we'll stop. We'll pause. It's fine. But uh, if you have questions, that's fine. But we're going to move real quickly through these. I'll try and run it my own little commentary to. Well, that's impossible, but I'll try. <laughs> Uh, the tenth blessing is in gathering the exiles, and this is uh, this is actually something that we talked about briefly yesterday. It is tied it is tied to the blessing uh, for years. Uh, it is it is tied to the land of Israel. It's tied to a people. So it's a land and a, and a people. This is the fulfillment of the messianic promise. The messianic promise beginning, uh, well, I shouldn't say beginning, but it, but appearing before us, beginning in in Genesis chapter twelve verse three, where God blesses Abraham. Even before that, where He asks or He, he commands Abraham rather to leave Ur and go to a land that he would show him. Uh, and it became his, uh, his uh, inherited uh, uh, possession and a possession to be given, uh, an inheritance rather, to be given to those uh, who are his descendants. The land, however, is the Lord's and it will always be the Lord's. Everybody wants to take a claim to the land. Well, it's our land. It's our land. You know, uh, Go and look at it and, and nobody wanted it until it started looking better. Uh, but it doesn't really matter. It still doesn't look like the Garden of Eden. It doesn't look like the Garden of Eden unless you have your heart turned towards the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then it looks like more than the Garden of Eden. And in fact, it looks like, it looks like the ultimate promise, and that is the place where Messiah will reign. And so when we pray this prayer in gathering for the exiles, we are in fact praying something that God himself has promised he will do, which is, how, how wonderful is that to pray something you know that he'll do? 
you can know for certain when you pray that he will answer this prayer in the affirmative with all of his power because his name rests upon this prayer. Listen, this is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 5. Now it shall come to pass when all those things, all these things shall come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the furthest, farthest parts under the heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. It's a promise. An absolute unassailable promise when you pray it you know when you pray the blessing for the ingathering of exiles you know with certainty that he will in fact fulfill this promise he says he will um, move down to uh, Isaiah 11:12. he will set up a banner for the nations and by the way the prayer actually draws greatly from Isaiah 11:12. he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the, assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth Isaiah 11:12. And then um, from Matthew 24:30, our Messiah's own words. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, I know most people think this is a rapture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry, Al. Anybody has a sheet from last week, uh, which is the same sheet as this week, uh, please pass it to someone who doesn't have a, an outline. Thank you. We did, uh, we did enough outlines for everybody for one week. Unfortunately, I have spread over two weeks, so... Um, Matthew 24 he will, I know most people think this is a reference to a rapture I, I appreciate that that's fine I have, this is not an eschatological eschatological yeah that it's not a discussion on that and that's not the point the point here though is that this is in fact when he said that everybody didn't go wow I've never heard of this before when he said that in Matthew chapter 24 they go well yes we know this this is a promise. This is a messianic promise. Mm-hmm. He was he was he was recounting a messianic promise, which is uh, uh, a pretty good deal. They they immediately identified with it, right? Um, sound the great shofar. This is the blessing. Sound the great shofar for our freedom. Raise the banner to gather our exiles and gather us together from the four corners of the earth. Blessed are you, Lord, who gathers in the dispersed of His people, Israel. So it is a messianic. It is a messianic prayer. Um, any questions on that one? Let's move to the 11th, which is for justice. Uh, um, this is for restoration of justice. Birkat uh, Hadin. Dot is judgment or knowledge. Uh, so this is Hadin. Birkat um, Hadin. Blessing for justice. Uh, the government of, of uh, the first five books of Scripture what some people would call um, the law, what some people would break into civil uh Help me with this. Civil, ritual, um, what's another one? Moral uh, law, um, which Scripture never does. Scripture never divides it into parts. You know better. Okay, good. Well, Scripture never divides it into those parts, but one would, when, you, when you do, you can see that there's a civil law uh, being, being enacted in, in, in the first five books uh, in the Torah. Uh, it's not separate from the rest. That's the key. One of the things that the experiment in democracy has shown is that when you separate 
the civil law mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. moral law right. uh, and the and I'm going to say it the ritual law you have no law mm-hmm. and that's exactly what we see in, in, in our society we, we have no law mm-hmm. every man is a law unto himself yeah. judges chapter 1 every man is a law unto themselves why? because they don't recognize the authority of God you know, so when we break it into those parts, we are we are doing the same thing. It is one unit. God speaks, we obey, period. You can't pick and choose. When you can start picking and choosing what you can obey of God what God said, you're on your own. Why are you just your own law? That's exactly what they did in the book of Judges. If you read the book of Judges, constantly they are pulling the things that they want to do and ignoring the things they don't want to do. They're dividing God's word. Just like people today are dividing God's land. There is a relationship. There's an absolute relationship. So this blessing for justice is a actual a return to the Torah system, the government, that actually has judges set up. Judges are supposed to be set up. There are supposed to be ruling bodies. Yes, there are. It is not a democracy. It's a theocracy. The judges are not free to make their own law. They're not even free to interpret law. They're simply those to be able to decide what has someone done in reference to the law, or into the, in this case, the Torah. It is a, it is, this is a petition for a return to the Sanhedrin. Unfortunately, a lot of people hear the word Sanhedrin, and they hear a Greek word, and they immediately remember, well, those are the people that were opposed to the first uh, disciples of Yeshua. That's actually not fair at all the first Sanhedrin we call uh, the Knesset Hagadol the great assembly was in fact an assembly of men judges made up of the prophets the people you're reading their words when you read the Tanakh they're they're the ones that wrote them down in the time of Ezra great prophets great holy men of God Um, and they established in the Knesset first and then an established in the Sanhedrin a ruling body they established a a not only a legal but a a, a scripture based uh, system of judging it's it's absolutely consistent in, with the Torah so when you hear about the Sanhedrin don't don't shy away from it uh, certainly men can corrupt things and certainly there was corrupt there were corrupt Sanhedrins. However, understand that the concept's not wrong. It's actually biblical. Um, so when we pray for the return of the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin is absolutely necessary for the Messianic age. It is. You can't read the Messianic prophecies and not know that there won't be a Sanhedrin. There will be. It may not be called a Sanhedrin. That's a Greek word. <laughs> it may be called a Knesset of some sort. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. The point is there will be assembly of judges. You had a question? Well, there is a Sanhedrin that has reformulated. Yes, they are not a recognized body within 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 the land of Israel under under the state of Israel. They're not they're not a recognized body. Although they they apparently have more authority than they first did. Uh, they have some authority, uh, religious authority, but uh, they they have yet to establish any legal authority. The Supreme Court. I don't know if you guys know this. The, in the state of Israel, there is no constitution. There's no constitution that establishes, that, is, that enumerates the rights of the people. It is the Supreme Court of Israel that, in fact, determines every single case on the basis of however they want. It's the truth, however they want. Yeah, it's, it's a very socialist system. <laughs> um, so when you look at it, you say, that, that, that's not the Sanhedrin. They're establishing it not, not based on what God says, but rather on whatever they want. Uh, and they can, and they do.
not, most of the time it's actually not bad, honestly. You know, they've been fairly successful. Unfortunately, some of their rulings are just bizarre. That's a political statement I shouldn't make. Let's move on. <laughs> Dare any of you, this is, uh, this is, uh, this is from First uh, Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to hear this Torah scholar's words. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you, un- are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? That's Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 through 2. Uh, in Isaiah 1, 26 through 27, I will restore your judges as at first, and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you should be called the city of righteousness. Do you get that? There's a relationship to be, before in the establishment of a ruling body, a a rather, not, I shouldn't say ruling body, a body of judges. They're not a ruling body, except that they simply apply the law. Uh, a body of judges. I will restore your judges as at first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you should be called city of righteousness, faith, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. And in fact, the blessing uh, for return to justice, restoration of justice, is from Isaiah 1, 26-27. Restore our judges as in earliest times and our counselors as at first. Remove from us sorrow and groan and reign over us, you Lord alone, with kindness and compassion and justify us through judgment. Blessed are you, Lord, the King who loves righteousness and judgment. The next one. Any questions on that one? We're doing well. We're, we're, we're moving along here. We'll keep moving. Uh, the next one is, uh, is the 12th blessing. This is a controversial one among some Messianics. And I want to be very clear in, in uh, how, I, uh, how I discuss this. This is not a bad blessing. This blessing predated, predated the first century. This is not a first century invention. There is a place in the Talmud where it speaks about this blessing and the creation or the formulation of this blessing. And if you read very carefully, and if you read in other places, this, this blessing preexisted. This blessing was reformulated after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70, the Common Era. After the reestablishment of the Sanhedrin in Yavne, uh, this blessing was, uh, and I, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't put it in your notes, I, would think, I think it was Shimon uh, Hakatan uh, was asked to reformulate a blessing against heretics. And he reformulated the same blessing. This blessing exists in the uh, uh, Cairo Geniza uh, Shimon Esrei, which, uh, which has a history apart from, separate from uh, the Talmudic version. Uh, so, it, although it's almost the same, so this this blessing actually is is very old. It's older than the first century. However, in the first century, this blessing being reformulated was used as a method by which to exclude believers in Messiah from the synagogue, because it was understood to be against them. They would not pray this blessing against themselves. Some people think that's a curse. It's not. Uh, they would not pray this blessing against themselves, and thereby they felt excluded. Why? Because what's the synagogue? It's a place of prayer. If you can't pray the prayer, why are you there? There's a lot of people think that going to church or going to congregation or going to synagogue is about something other than what its intended, intended purpose is. It's a place of prayer. And if you can't pray... If you can't pray what everyone else is praying, then you have a problem. And so, in fact, this was used to, to separate, to push them out. Yeshua said this would happen. 
In John chapter 16 too, it says, They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes. The time is coming that whatever you, that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Matthew 5.44 And lest we ever forget, when I come to this blessing, I'll just tell you personally, and this is my own personal opinion, I have no problem with anybody praying this blessing. None at all. I have prayed this blessing. And I often do, but not in my daily prayers. Uh, this blessing, uh, I, when I come to it, I purposefully skip it. Uh, this is against heretics. The twelfth blessing. I purposefully skip it. Um, and the reason why is because it was used against the first disciples of Yeshua to separate them. And I do it in honor of them. That's all. Just in honor of them. Because I know that when they came to this, they couldn't pray it, so I don't pray either. But I have, I have prayed this blessing. And there's a very appropriate times to pray this blessing, I promise. Um, there are people who think there are 19 blessings in the Shemona Esrei. Shemona Esrei means 18. There are 19. If you count them, there are 19. Uh, this was not the one added. It was not added. That is, that is absolutely false. I know that a lot of people think this was added. It was not added. This is not the 19th blessing. This is the 12th blessing. In fact, what happened was they split two other blessings. And uh, 19, uh, excuse me, they split. I have a note in here. What is it? Um, they split the building of Jerusalem and the establishment of David's throne into two. That's what made 19, not the adding of this blessing. This has this pre-existed. Um, uh, as for slanders, and that is the word menim, let there be no hope, and may all wickedness perish in an instant, and may all your enemies be cut down speedily. Speaking of God's enemies, may you speedily uproot, smash, cast down, humble the wanton sinners speedily in our days. Blessed are you, Lord, who breaks enemies and humbles wanton sinners. You can see that's a very good blessing, because he promised he will do that. Um, let's move on. Actually, I've got to read this one first. Romans 11:28. Concerning the gospel, they, that is those that put the first disciples of Yeshua out of the synagogue, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Let's never forget it. Uh, any questions on that one? Those were quiet. That will thank you. No, please, join in. <laughs> Uh, the 13th blessing is blessing uh, for righteous ones. Uh, you know, it does point out, you know, Paul says all have sinned, have fallen short of the glory of God. He quotes from Isaiah. Uh, it, we know that our righteousness is as filthy rags, which is a call the Homer argument, a light to heavy. Compared to the righteousness of God, our righteousness is as filthy rags. But it is false to say that we do not have righteousness. Because all righteousness is as obedience. Have you never obeyed? Well, not in my own strength. But did you? Yes, you did. You have. Of course you've obeyed. You wouldn't be here today if you had never obeyed. Does everyone obey sometime? I hope so. So there's, there's variations, yes. Is it the ultimate variation? What's righteous? See, we've got this idea that righteous means without ever, ever varying. There is only one who is fully righteous. Only one. But we were declared righteous. That's right. We were declared righteous based on his merit. He earned it for us. However, we live out that righteousness, that sanctification. So, yes, our deeds are 
When we obey God, our deeds are righteous. Absolutely, they are righteous. Is it perfect righteousness? Of course not. But to deny that it's righteous is to deny that he's at work in the world, which is a defamation of his name. He is at work in the world. He's at work in us. And when he works faithfully through us, and we obey him, his righteousness is revealed to the world. And what do they say? Well, that person's very nice. That person's very kind. That person's very gracious. Now, they're saying that about us. They're recognizing his work in us, but it is righteousness. And in fact, that's exactly what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, he says actually, I may have included that. I didn't. And it will be righteousness for you when you are faithful to obey all that I've commanded you. It is righteousness for us. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know something? Let me tell you why I did that. Okay. Yeah, give them a reason for the hope that lies within you, but don't say, well, I had no idea I even did it. Wow, who did that? Like, like, I'm, a, like I'm this channel of blessing that I am uninvolved. Let go and let God. No. Obey. When you see your brother and sister in need, obey. Do it. It's not accidental. Oops, I did something right. Well, it wasn't really me. <laughs> isn't, that the, isn't that the common theology? You just kind of let go, let go. And wow, wonderful things happen around you. And wow, aren't I living a wonderful life? But wow, am I a bad person. No, absolutely wrong. <laughs> Uh, we are talking about a comparison between God's righteousness and our righteousness. I'm sorry, there's no comparison. This is like night and day. It's like opposites. Our righteousness is a filthy rest. But we are called to live righteous lives. And the Bible is so full of, of the identification of the people of God being called the righteous. Even though, are we sinners? Yes. In this very Siddur, there are scriptures quoted that said, we are wanton sinners. Forgive us. And yet it says, and we are righteous before you. Right? Here's what it says in the, in the 13th blessing. Excuse me, let's talk about this here. Uh, in, in the Hatzakidim, uh, righteous ones, little children. This is from First John, this is scriptures. Little children, let no one deceive you. I want you to hear what John says. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he's righteous. Period. The theology that says you do not do, you are not righteous is false. It's unscriptural. It's wrong. It doesn't say, that, by the way, I do believe in imputed righteousness. Absolutely. But this is not talking about imputed righteousness. That is a righteousness that's just given to us out of, the, out, of, out, of, out of the work of Messiah. Yes, absolutely. That's ultimate righteousness. This is not talking about that. It's saying, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness, if you do it, you're righteous. That's pretty stunning for, for a group of people that believe in salvation by grace through faith, as we do. Those are pretty shocking words, aren't they? Wrap your theology around that. Don't exclude it. Uh, first John, that's First John chapter three, verse seven. Psalms twenty-two, four. Our fathers trusted you; they trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and they were delivered. They trusted in you, and they were not ashamed. Uh, this is uh, this is the Shimon Esrei from Micha. Uh, the righteous, on the righteous, on the devout, on the elders of your people, the family of Israel, on the remnant of their scholars, on the righteous converts, speaking of proselytes there, uh, and on ourselves. May your compassion 
be aroused, Lord our God, and give goodly rewards to all who sincerely believe in your name. Put our lot with them forever, and we will not feel ashamed, for we trust in you. Blessed are you, Lord, may it say in assurance of the righteous, as you can see, that's drawn mostly from Psalm 22.4. Questions on that one? We're moving. Uh, <laughs> this one, uh, I'm going to have to take some time with this one and the next one. And the 14th blessing, the building of Jerusalem. Actually, it's the builder of Jerusalem is what this is specifically. The rebuilding of Jerusalem. Bonai Yerushalayim is the builder of Jerusalem. Who is the builder of Jerusalem, the rebuilder of Jerusalem? It is the Lord himself, Hashem. Um, this is one that was combined with a later one in the early first century, and uh, that's how we got 19. Uh, Jerusalem, first of all, anybody that wants to make it only a spiritual city, they still have to deal with Revelation chapter have chapter 22, chapter 1 and 22, 21 and 22. There's a new Jerusalem comes down. It doesn't go up. It comes down. New heaven and new earth, it's still a new earth. It's a place. It's a real place. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a place you go to in your mind. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not a state of being, although one might consider it to be a state of being if you're there. It's a real place. It's a real place. Right now it has dirty streets. There are people begging on the corners. There are mad drivers honking their horns. There are people walking into yeshivas and shooting people. There's blood. There's a shrine to a moon god on the very place where God has placed his name. But it's still Jerusalem. And it's still his city. And he still has his eye there and it will never leave. He's there. It is a unbelievably marvelous place. It's incomparable. If you understand that he's there, all of those things that you might say, you know, this is not the best place in the world, you would set them aside in a moment. You wouldn't consider them. When I consider Jerusalem, my greatest hope, my greatest desire is nothing compared to it. If I forget it, let my right hand lose its strength. It is my greatest joy. Why? Because he's placed his name there. And because my master, Yeshua, had his heart for it. He wept over Jerusalem. Why? Why not just be done with it? Start over. If you read the book of Galatians, one would think that that's true. Paul had a desire for Jerusalem as well. And if you read in in the book of Acts, and then read Galatians, you go, what's he talking about? Two different Jerusalems, isn't he? Yeah, the Jerusalem where the Lord has placed his name. And the Jerusalem, which was a figment, or rather a figment of some people's imagination, it's the same thing that I see when I go to Jerusalem and I see the dirty streets and I see the people being killed and I see uh, the, the, the mosque on the Temple Mount. That's, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about Jerusalem, the place of his throne. Listen. This is, what, this is some scriptures. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8 through 11. In, and in that day it shall be that the living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea. Anybody know where the eastern sea is? The dead, what's called the Dead Sea now. Listen. And half of them toward the western sea. Where's that? Mediterranean. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one, and his name one. You recognize that? Uh, from the Kaddish. The Lord is one and his name is one. 
The people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be utter destruction. But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. This week, that makes it very poignant, doesn't it? It's not different any other week. It is a holy city. I promise it really is. In fact, if you walk around this holy city, various parts of this holy city, you can sense it. You can feel it. It's there. Even in the honking of the horns, you can still sense it. It's a holy city. Where a man walking without a keeper is a rare thing. Not that a keeper is commanded, but it means something there. It means that when you put a keep on, I'm not just anybody. I am a chosen of Hashem. And a chosen of Hashem recognizes kingship, and I obey him. That's what it means. That's what they intended to mean. And they're also wearing Zitzit, which actually biblically says the same thing. Right? It is holy. It is a holy place. No question about it. It is a holy place. Um, Zechariah 8.3. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion. This is what I, I prayed earlier. Is, uh, May our eyes see you return to Zion in compassion. I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called City of Truth, Mountain of the Lord of Hosts, the Holy Mountain. And uh, let me read it for you. And to Jerusalem, your city, may you return in compassion, may you rest within it, as you have spoken. May you rebuild it sooner in our days as an eternal structure, and may you speedily establish the throne of David within it. Blessed are you, Lord, builder of Jerusalem. This is a messianic prayer. Um, Let's move on. Any questions on that one? This next one is Malchut Beit David, kingship of the house of David. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord. Actually, let me move up a little bit. I, I wrote it up here too. Blessing uses this. Bless, there's a number of these blessings that use the uh, the feminine ver, uh, the feminine, feminine noun salvation for Yeshua's, uh, which is sounds the same as Yeshua's name. Uh, Janet said one day she was praying at the hotel. And, and uh, most people pray at the hotel silently, although on the women's side it gets sometimes noisy. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. The men pray out loud as well. If they're in a minion, if they're in a minion, they pray out loud. Uh, the women are, do, not, do not form a minion. However, they still pray at the, at the hotel, oftentimes noisy, especially if you're right at the wall. Um, this lady next, next to her was praying in Hebrew. Uh, Janet doesn't understand Hebrew. But she constantly kept c- crying out, Yeshua, Yeshua. And uh, she, it just struck her. I mean, she knew she was praying for salvation. Uh, but she, it struck her how oftentimes our master's name is uttered at the hotel. And actually, every time, every time Shimon Esrei has prayed, it's uttered many times. One of them is in this very blessing, Kingship of the House of David. I've written on the board, Matzniach Keren Yeshua. And I've, written, I've transliterated out. If you can't read it, transliterated, it's Matzniach Keren Yeshua. Cause to raise up or raise up the the glory is what some people say here in here in the the art scroll says the pride of salvation uh, the uh, a branch or sprout is another another word used uh, to cause it to raise up what what it <laughs> this word Karen is a very interesting word it's the same word used for Moses when he came down the mountain and he had a glow about him that Karen. What it is, is it's the visible manifestation of the presence of God. Think about it. The visible manifestation of the presence of God. So cause the visible manifestation of your salvation, of Yeshua, to be raised up, to be uplifted. That's exactly what this is. Here it is. Matzmeah Karen Yeshua. 
Um, it is actually in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where it talks about us gazing face to face with the Lord and that we will be transformed. That's what it's speaking of. Karen. That's in Paul's mind when he's writing this. We shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. That's exactly right. Uh, in Hosea chapter 3 verse 5. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king. They shall fear the Lord in his goodness in the latter days. I, I can't tell you the number of times in the art scroll sedur, not just the art scroll, but most sedurs, where the cry and the prayer for the return of David the king is, is, is called for. The return of David the king, uh, whether it's actually David or not is, 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 is maybe debatable I don't know uh, but more importantly it is a messianic it's a mess it's the son of David we're looking for the son of David uh, then say to them this is Ezekiel chapter 37 21 through 27 a repeat, a repeat this is a repeat of the new covenant promises from Jeremiah chapter 31 then say to them thus says the Lord God surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountain of the Lord, and one king shall be king over them. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgment and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to the Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there. They, their children, their children's children, forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Ezekiel 37, 21 through 27. You see, that actually is, is Jeremiah 31 being spelled out again. Listen to this, though. Uh, I, I, have to, I, have to, I have to wonder if the writer of the book of Hebrews was thinking of Masmeach Karen Yeshua when he wrote this who being the brightness of his glory remember the glow on Moses is described as horns the word Karen is actually the same word used for the horns of an ox in other words it's rays of light who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person and upholding all things by the power of his word, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here is the, here is the blessing. The offspring of your servant David may you speedily cause to flourish and enhance his pride. That word pride is, uh, um, is that, uh, um, I think that's Karen as well, Karen. Uh, through your salvation for we hope for your salvation all day long blessed are you Lord who causes the pride of salvation to flourish yes it is any questions on that one? that's right horn of salvation that's right Yeah. Uh, you know there's no good way to translate it honestly uh, it's, why, it's why the early uh, paintings of Moses had horns on him. It wasn't because they thought he was a devil. It was because, well, maybe they did. Maybe they did. But it was because they were trying to, how do you write this? He had, 
And he had to cover his face because everybody was afraid. This glow. Is that the Shekinah or is that different? Uh, it is some sort of... First of all, there's a misunderstanding. Moses went into the tent of meeting and spoke to the Lord. He would come out of the tent of meeting, uncovered face, he would go in, uncover his face, go and speak to the Lord. He'd come on with his face uncovered and he would speak the words of God. So the people would hear it. They'd be afraid, but they'd hear it. What they saw was they saw his glow from having been in the presence of God, the Shekinah of some sort. Yes, absolutely. So it's some sort of reflection of God's glory. Uh, they would see the glow, and then he would cover his face until it was time to go back in again. Uh, there's this idea, there's this common teaching that's actually unscriptural. It's based upon a misunderstanding of First Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter 3, that Moses' face would... It basically faded. Eventually it faded and he never had that glow anymore. That scripture never talks about that. In fact, the opposite. In fact, if you were to take that belief, then you'd have to say that the Bible is wrong. It's contradicting itself. Because in, because in, the, in the Torah, his face never stops glowing. Never. Till the day he dies, he wears a veil. Whenever he's speaking to the people, not speaking God's words. So if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, there's a whole lot more, and it's actually an awesome teaching. If you uncover that, if you stop with the theological, well, it's a veil, it's death, you know. You know, he had to hide it because, you know, people couldn't stand it, which is true. They were afraid. Why? Because the presence of God was speaking. Why did, why did they murder our master? Because he was speaking the words of God against the traditions of men. Praise God, neither, neither Moses, Moses will be raised up and Yeshua has been. So, amen. The next one is the 16th blessing. Uh, this, is, uh, this is called Ava Harachamim, Father of Compassion. It's been put to many songs. Actually, all these have been put to songs. There's, there's, there's traditional tunes and then there's popular tunes been put to these. If you, listen to, if you listen to Hebrew music, you have heard all of these prayers. I promise. If you listen to Hebrew music, you may not know it. You've heard these prayers. Because it's, it's the most popular source for lyrics. These are the most popular source for even, even you know, semi-religious lyrics. Um, this is Al-Harachamim, uh, uh, which is his father of compassion. It is it basically, it's just praising God. That he, that he, that he, that he is, in fact, um, that he hears our prayer. Um, <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who refines, seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, he will give him a shepherd? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, to, good things to those who ask Him? Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. You who hear prayer, to, all, to you all flesh will come. Psalm 65, 2. This, um, hear our voice. Uh, and Abba Rahman, excuse me, there's two names for it. Uh, Hear our voice, Lord our God. Pity and be compassionate to us and accept with compassion and favor our prayer. For God who hears prayers and supplications are you. From before yourself our King, turn us not away empty-handed. For you hear the prayer of your people Israel with compassion. Blessed are you, Lord, who hears prayer. This is the 17th blessing. Is uh, the, temp- the return for uh, temple service, or avodah. Temple's a bad word. We have no English word to go with it, but avodah, worship. This is the prayer for worship. 
This is what we. This is why you're praying these prayers. These, this is worship. Uh, so you're actually saying, I like this so much, I want to do it in the real place at the real times. That's what you're saying. It's a petition for the return of the temple service, Avodah. It's a petition for the Messianic age, the temple of Messiah, Ezekiel chapters, the last eight chapters of Ezekiel. The temple of the the temple, the the uh, rebuilt temple on the mount, that is Messiah's temple, the Messianic age. So, uh, from Romans chapter twelve, verse one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, Paul using the sacrificial, uh, the sacrificial, the rather the offering system as a as a metaphor for our own obedience. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Same thing, prayer as a metaphor. Prayer is a metaphor uh, for that, for that um, and it's an acceptable replacement in, in, the, in, the, in the short term as a, as a worship expression. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18 and 11, verse 23. Many nations shall come. This is from Micah chapter 4, verse 2. It's also from Isaiah chapter 2. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the Torah shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Amen. Be favorable, Lord our God, towards your people Israel in their prayer. Restore the service of the holy holies of your temple. The fire offerings of Israel in their prayer accept with love and favor. And to the service of your people Israel always be favorable to you. May our eyes behold you return to Zion in compassion. Blessed are you, Lord, who restores his presence to Zion. This is Shekinah. This is the last one. Thanksgiving. This is... Actually... Hold on. This is not the last one. The second to last one. This is uh, this is one of the ones that are the few ones where you bow at the beginning. At the beginning, you bow and at the waist and stay bowed until you say his name. We gratefully thank you, for it is you who are Lord our God and God of our forefathers for all eternity. Rock of our lives, shield of our salvation, are you from generation to generation. We shall thank you and relate your praise for our lives which are committed to your power, for our souls that are entrusted to you, for your miracles that are with us every day, for your wonders and favors in every season, evening, morning, and afternoon. The beneficent one for your compassions were never exhausted, and the compassionate one for your kindnesses never ended. Always have we put our hope in you. For all these, may your name be blessed and exalted, our King, continually, forever and ever. Everything alive will gratefully acknowledge you. This is Philippians chapter 2. Everything alive will gratefully acknowledge you, Selah. And praise your name sincerely, O God of our salvation and help, Selah. Blessed are you, Lord. Your name is the Beneficent One, and to you it is fitting to give thanks. This is a response to reflection upon God's compassion. Um, I'm all mixed up here. It also includes the blessing. Uh, this, this has a break in the middle. If you look at the art school, Sador, or actually in the Sador, there'll be a break during Hanukkah or uh, during Purim. There's actually blessings. There's actually Thanksgiving for the things, the miracles that he worked in those times. Those are actually included in this, in this prayer, this blessing. Questions on that one? Actually, here, let me read these scriptures real quick. Colossians 4.2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant, 
in it with thanksgiving. This is the thanksgiving prayer, Modim. Uh, so we, your people, and sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. Psalm seventy-nine, thirteen. This is the last one. This is uh, this is uh, Sim Shalom. Uh, you, we sing this Sim Shalom. Uh, this blessing, this last blessing. There are remaining standards. Actually, some very good ones. Please, when you get to this, don't stop. There's like another page and a half in, in a normal sedur of incredible stuff that you can pray. This is the last of the official eighteen, okay, or nineteen if you count them that way. Uh, it's a response, and this is one of the things I wanted to tell you before we close. This is a response to the ironic blessing. This is a response. So, the, in, in Numbers chapter 6, God says, I want you, speaking to Aaron and his sons, I want you to place my name upon the people with this blessing. You place my name upon them with this blessing. The response, after we have received that blessing from the, from the Lord, His name's been placed upon us. Right? Our response is Sim Shalom. That's the response. I know we don't do it that way, oftentimes, and we have, but we ha- we, I know we don't always do it that way, and I know that a lot of people pray this without considering, but if you look in almost all Sadur's, you'll see the priestly blessing immediately precedes this. It's not prayed by us, because we don't do it for ourselves, it's something done for us, right? Uh, and, and today, we have, uh, there are Kohen, uh, we have a, we have a cousin who's a Levite. How, how awesome is that? Um, so we, we actually, this is, this is our response. It's Sim Shalom. And unfortunately I have the wrong one because I have the afternoon already read Shacharit. Excuse me. The afternoon one is, is shorter. i got to read the long one, of course. Establish peace. This is, I mean, you can think about, you can think of Sim Shalom, think of the words, establish peace, goodness, blessing, graciousness, kindness, and compassion upon us and upon all your people Israel. Bless us, our Father, all of us as one with the light of your countenance. For with the light of your countenance, remember how, how the priestly blessing uh, uh, prays and, and places his name, his countenance, and his countenance uh, upon us. From the light of your countenance you gave us, Lord our God, the toil of life and the love of kindness, righteousness, blessing, compassion, life and peace. And may be good in your eyes to bless your people Israel in every season and every hour with your peace. Blessed are you, Lord, who blesses people Israel with peace. Here's the scriptures from Numbers chapter 6. Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his hands. Uh, lift, up, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. I was getting ahead of myself because read this. Uh, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you do I give you. Nor let, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. John chapter 14, our master's words. And these are, his, uh, these, are, these are from his words as well. Luke chapter 24. And I want you to think of this. Every time you hear Bikat Hakamim, the blessing of, of, the, of the priest. Every time you sing, sing Shalom, or pray, I want you to think of this. Luke chapter 24, verse 53, 53. And he led them out as far as Bethany, which is the mountain at the top of the Mount of Olives. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Isn't that something? 
Our response to his blessing is, Sin Shalom, establish peace, goodness, blessing, gracious, kindness, and compassion. Our response to his blessing is to pray the prayers of the temple service. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you that you have blessed us. Without you, we have, we have nothing. We have, uh, we're bankrupt. We're in debt. Father, we have, uh, we have such great riches in you, and we find our riches in you. We long for the whole world to see that their only hope is to be placed in you. Father, we thank you for the work of Messiah, by whom we have been grafted into your family. Father, by whom we have relationship and peace with you. Thank you for peace. Thank you for being, giving us completeness, wholeness. Father, I pray that as we consider these blessings and as they relate to your scripture, Father, we would take your word and we would apply it. That we would sing back your praises to you. That we would open the Psalms of David, your servant, and that we would pray them with, uh, with fervor, Father. Because you are deserving all praise and honor and glory. And in Yeshua's name, I'm Master. Amen.